Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joel Craft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Live Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Thursday evening where we continue our reflections into these special topics. This Thursday evening, as promised, I am going to respond to your question, a question that came out of a series of discussions uh, from my book. I took up the topic of gossip, and certainly the question of gossip has come up. So we are going to talk about gossip and the many-layered thing that we call gossip. So this evening is probably going to uh, some degree challenge each and every one of us because, as I will note throughout this evening, I think in varying degrees we have all struggled with gossip. Now, most of us probably remember our first encounter with gossip, and if not, a time when we have been directly affected by the words of others for sure. What's more, we can probably identify a time when our own uncharitable remarks have been the cause of great pain to others. Either way, everyone, my friends, I'm sure, has been on both sides of the gossip mill. The sin of gossip has its way of penetrating every setting. As I note in my book, whether at home with spouse or siblings, at our work setting among our peers, or even at our local church, the last place you'd expect it is where at times gossip is, is most rampant. One thing is for sure, as long as we are vested with the flesh and belong to the human race, we have to be on guard against the snares of the adversary and his plot to break down the beauty of friendships. Brothers and sisters, there is no walk of life or demographic that is immune from the injustices of speech. So, what is gossip? How are we to define gossip? You can turn to any dictionary and it will speak of gossip as as something like the idle conversation about the affairs of other people. Of its nature, gossip certainly is poisonous. I mean, when you really think about it, idle conversation that does not serve the purpose of praise and building up the people of God lends itself to what? But conversation that is negative and ultimately sinful because words of gossip are destructive to relationships. Part of our daily routine should include and very much consider how many negative things we say in a day about those who, who are in our circles of everyday life. We just might be surprised that if and when we do that, the amount of gossip that fills up our discussions and how these words cause harm and ultimately lead to heartache. We ought to take heed to the words of the psalmist, Psalm chapter 101, verse 5, Him who slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. We read of Paul's advice to Titus, remind them to speak evil of no one. In other words, my friends, if you do not have anything good to say, then be silent, or better yet, say something encouraging or constructive. If any of you out there might have doubt into the gravity of gossip, 
Listen to what St. James has to say in chapter 3, verses 5 to 6. How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue is an unrighteous world among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the cycle of nature, and set on fire by hell. Wow. I mean, those words are strong, huh? Now, what do we find about gossip in the Catechism? While the Catechism does not specifically use the word gossip, it does certainly offer some clear direction on the behavior we are to avoid in our fraternal gatherings. If you were to turn to paragraph 2477, there we read, The respect for the reputation of persons forbids every attitude and word likely to cause someone unjust injury. That paragraph goes on to say that a person becomes guilty of rash judgment who even tacitly, even tacitly assumes as true without sufficient foundation the moral fault of a neighbor. Also, of detraction who, without objectively valid reason, discloses another's faults and failings to persons who did not know them. Of calumny who, by remarks contrary to the truth, harms the reputation of others and gives occasion for false judgments concerning them. And of this uh, calumny, maybe you've heard the more common phrase, backbiting. Uh, St. Thomas Aquinas calls this the sin of tail-whispering, this sinful form of speech which stirs up trouble behind someone's back. We also have the tendency to diminish or even justify our wicked words by saying that, well, well, you know, we just need to vent. This is widely problematic because this excuse often fails because our attempt at justification is often rooted in what? But one of the capital sins, anger. Now, here, I do not discount the need to discuss a problem with someone. But brothers and sisters, that someone needs to be able to guide you into the process of forgiveness. Usually this is your spiritual director or maybe a mentor you can trust. Now, what's really interesting about the word gossip is its origin, its etymology. It comes from the old English word godseeb, which means what? But sponsor, godparent. So, over the course of time, this word evolved from a familiar acquaintance, such as a sponsor or godparent, to anyone engaging familiar talk, to today when it means what? But the idle conversation about the affairs of other people. So, a word that once spoke to the blessing of relationships is now about the betrayal of relationships. Once again, we see Satan busy parroting, hijacking a truth that rightfully belongs to God. Now, what else here is that the Catechism also makes it clear that just because a statement is objectively true or proven as a fact, it does not mean we have a right to share it with whomever, wherever, and whenever. Conforming ourselves, as the Catechism reminds us, to the fraternal precept of love, we are to discern what needs to be shared, with whom it needs to be shared to, and when it needs to be shared, if at all. You see, my friends, we need to be discerning. Silence, my friends, may very well be the proper and virtuous approach here. As a noun, 
we define silence as what but um, muteness, the absence of noise. In its verb form, we define silence as becoming still, quiet. So in the action to become still, do we begin to move towards silence as a virtue? Silence, my friends, is virtuous when he who could speak remains still. Silence then means that he who could go forth by speaking remains in an inner reserve. And certainly this inner reserve is the fruit of any good discernment and quintessential to building up our relationships in Jesus Christ. So let us be sure to ask ourselves, should I say something? Knowing that the use of the virtue of silence is one of the options of discernment, huh? And again, discernment it is. The church reminds us that we have an obligation to correct our brother's fault for the sake of righteousness, out of love. We see this not only from Jesus' very lips, but also all throughout Paul's epistles. One of the virtues that St. Paul highlights is the virtue of gentleness, that we are called to correct our brothers and sisters in Christ in the spirit of gentleness and reverence. If genuine peace and unity are to be realized in our friendships, then reconciliation between friends is absolutely necessary. And sometimes the reconciliation process does involve a reproof or what we have rightfully identified as the first spiritual work of mercy, admonishment. If we are straightforward about situations that trouble us, my dear friends, friendships would see a whole lot less betrayal and despondency and a whole lot more trust and cheerfulness. Far too often, we are let down by our friends because we place such a high expectation on them. We ought to be mindful that on the other side of expectation is what? But disappointment. And as I've discussed before, on more than one occasion, disappointment breeds what? But resentment. This is the lesson we learn from the prodigal son. So for this reason, we need to be willing to have the conversations that are necessary for our friendships to move towards that more authentic peace and reconciliation. While reproof and admonishment are not necessarily actions that many of us look forward to, the gospel reminds us that they are necessary. Uh, incidentally, the word admonish comes from the Latin verb monire, meaning to warn, to advise, to alert someone to a threat of danger. The danger being what but the course of sinful behavior. Reproof and admonishment is kind of like medicine, you know. While it may sting when it is initially applied over time, the medicine heals and not only heals, but restores the wound to its original identity. This, my friends, is the end goal of fraternal correction. So in light of all of this, Fraternal correction should be rooted in a series of principles, and I would list six. First, be mindful of your own weakness and need for Christ, right? Pray for the disposition of non-condemnation, charity, reverence, humility. All correction, my friends, must naturally flow out of genuine love. Second, pray for clarity. 
and discern when to engage in correction. Timing, my friends, while we say it is everything, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, one thing I do know is that it is important, right? Third, for the sake of integrity, at least initially, let correction always be behind closed doors. This is the lesson Jesus teaches us, one-on-one. Fourth, always be sure that the person has the experience of being listened to. It is always good to hear a person out and what he or she has to say. Okay, so always be sure the person has the experience of being listened to. Point number five, under the inspiration of the first principle, being mindful of your own weakness and need for Christ, be prepared to give sufficient explanation about the fault that lies at the heart of the engagement. Be clear. Be concise. Let a very real dialogue and conversation ensue. And number six, lastly here, trust in God. Trust in God. A correction is not always well-received, right? Some of my strongest encounters that have led to a more authentic expression of reconciliation have required prolonged time. I could say that I've experienced this on both sides of fraternal correction. In the end, my friends, human nature needs time. Needs time. So, on the flip side of this, what we have in the absence of fraternal correction is the sin of what but omission, which can ultimately, of course, lead to the sin of gossip. What do I mean? Well, next time you catch yourself in a moment when you have said less than charitable words about someone else, ask yourself this question. Could this moment have been avoided if I had engaged the person on the matter being discussed? One of the great tools of Satan is the fear of confrontation. While silence certainly is virtuous, as I have just spoken to it, it can also be a trap if we are not speaking up when we ought. Here we need to pray for the gift of fortitude, which gives us the grace and strength necessary to address with our brother or sister in Christ what needs to be addressed. Otherwise, whatever is unresolved festers and destroys relationships. (laughs) Does this sound familiar? Pope Francis, in Joy of the Gospel, reminded us that conflict can wield a, a kind of power over us. And I wanted to read this from paragraph 226. Conflict cannot be ignored or concealed. It has to be faced. But if we remain trapped in conflict, we lose our perspective, our horizons shrink, and reality itself begins to fall apart. In the midst of conflict, we lose our sense of the profound unity of reality. So brothers and sisters, let us live in the Christian reality of charity and truth. And here... My friends, we should probably pause and offer up a word about judgment. I often hear from different people that they do not confront the issue at hand because they feel that they are judging someone. We must remember that God does not condemn the judgment of something if it is breaking down the body of Christ, that which is objective, right? The objective realm of what is external, revealed, and seen. But he condemns the judgment of someone when we are critical of why they do what they do. Because for this, we do not know. This is uh, the subjective realm, what is internal, hidden, unseen. We must also be sure 
that we are not premature in our judgments. What is objective will always be seen for what it is, but sometimes this takes time. Consider the, the parable of the weeds among the wheat that we read in Matthew chapter 13. The servants go out and, and identify weeds growing in the wheat, but they may be inaccurate in their identification of which shoots are weeds and which are wheat. The Greek word used in this passage for weeds identifies a particular kind of weed that, interestingly enough, in its initial stages of growth, very much resembles quite closely that of wheat. Our Lord said to the servants what? That the enemy has planted such weeds. I believe part of Satan's plan was to confuse the servants. Remember, his function is to confuse. To confuse the servants to think that they saw weeds when in fact they were actually looking at the wheat. The servants asked their master if they should pull up the weeds. Our Lord, being the master of truth, reminds his servants that judgment can only be made at the full maturation of one's life. So before you make a judgment, be patient and discern well, right? The idea of judgment, my friends, isn't unreasonable, right? In, in the truest sense of the word, without reason. Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am. This is in the imperative sense, the sense that is absolute. And at once invites a response according to what Christ has set up as the objective moral standard. Which, my friends, directs us to the realm of ethics, right from wrong. Christ's message was one of love, of course, but love itself is always rooted in moral truth. Therefore, in humility, we have the obligation to offer fraternal correction when it is appropriate, because it keeps us in the moral standard set up by Christ as well as our brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, just by way of analogy, consider why we have officers of law. If I'm pulled over by a police officer because I was going over the speed limit by, say, 15 miles per hour, how would the officer respond if I told him something like, well, you know, it's okay to go over the speed limit because that is what I think to be okay? At the very least, the officer would remind me that going 80 miles an hour in a 65-mile-an-hour zone is what? But against the law. He would be making a statement of fact. There is a civil standard that serves the greater order of the whole of society. We call that the moral consensus. And certainly, there is something like that in the spiritual realm. Christ has set up moral standards of truth for the greater order of the whole of the kingdom of God, right? We have the responsibility, like that of a police officer, to reprove when necessary. Again, Always in the spirit of gentleness, understanding the importance of timing, and with appropriateness in the way we speak. And here, I do not use the word understanding loosely. To live in the gift of understanding is to be able to grasp the interior meaning of each encounter and how it manifests itself in the relationship. So my friends, with the gift of understanding... We have the ability to perceive, 
behind a feeling that is manifested, behind an opinion that is expressed. Something else is hidden. And certainly this allows each encounter to mature according to its full meaning. Okay, up to this point, we have discussed what gossip is, uh, why it is a sin, and, and how we are called to carefully consider the importance of fraternal correction. The challenge is before us. What are we going to do about it? If gossip is one of those sins that we all struggle with, then, well, let's start struggling with it, huh? What did St. Augustine say? Life is but a struggle in grace. With this in mind, let us start our struggle to overcome the sin of gossip with an authentic yes to a life of prayer. Prayer, my friends, as many of us know, brings us into the presence of God. And as it does, it draws us into the very life of God, which is what? But charity. We imitate this loftiest, loftiest of virtues by being present to the needs of others and persevering in prayer. In essence, my friends, prayer and the charity that pours out from it leads to a life of other-centeredness. It is in the absence of prayer that we begin to give in to our selfish appetite, which leads to a weakening of the will and ultimately disposes the soul to participate in this sinful behavior of gossip. It is prayer that leads to a disposition of unselfishness that gives glory to God. A life that gives glory to God is a life that views each and every encounter, each and every moment, as something pregnant with a divine quality, where each relationship has the potential of bringing about a deeper unity. Once we have sustained a disposition of unselfishness, we are then more readily aware of how to avoid the idle chatter that has a way of breaking down the hearts of both men and women. And to talk about prayer, certainly, in the Catholic Church is to also talk about what but the Eucharist. The Eucharist is the sacrifice of Christ. So when we receive the Eucharist, we are receiving the sacrifice of Christ. It is the realm of unselfishness, the realm of unity. If we are going to become a Eucharistic people, a people of thanksgiving, then we need to be more aware of how our idle chatter, our idle conversation can break down relationships. So in the end, my friends, once rooted in prayer in the sacramental life, if we find ourselves at odds with a sibling, a friend, a co-worker, or so on, what will we then see but that broken relationship as an opportunity for growth? We ought to start equating challenge with opportunity. As I often like to point out, the word challenge is derived from the Latin provocatio, right? Which literally translates as to call forth or to call out. In the challenges we face in our broken relationships, God is calling each and every one of us into his light of forgiveness and reconciliation. Yes, challenges are not easy, but that does not mean they are impossible. Challenges ought to open us up to our need for the other and for God. We are to never face, my friends, God-sized challenges with man-sized solutions. So let us mount these challenges, even if at times they appear daunting. 
If we have committed any of the sins of gossip, rash judgment, detraction, calumny, or even tail-whispering, let us repent and seize the opportunity to renew those once broken relationships. Always mindful that when we seek forgiveness, we are imitating Christ on the cross. No matter how great our good act or how grievous our worst sin, God will always love us. And we need to be reminded of that as we seek to reconcile ourselves with our brothers and sisters in Christ. On the cross, he pronounces something beautiful for us, and that is forgiveness. As Christians and in Christ's grace, we are to pronounce that beauty in our own relationships that others might see and be won over by our own humility, imitating Christ's transforming love that is working within us. Amen? Amen. All right. <laughs> so, we've taken a look at what gossip is, and as we've taken a look at what gossip is, certainly we offered up a, a brief response to that this evening. I hope our time this evening has been beneficial for you. If you are someone right now who is asking yourself, or maybe even telling yourself, I just can't forgive this person or that person, remember what Jesus said. Love your enemy. And as you love your enemy, you love as I love. So if we call ourselves Christians, let us enter more deeply into Christ-like love. Mindful, mindful that as Mark chapter 2, verse 7 reminds us, this is humanly impossible. We need God. Forgiveness is a divine act. We need God. We always need more of God. So be rest assured, as you tell yourself, this is just something I can't do, Remind yourself you're right. You can't. It's a divine act. And so we go before the throne room of grace asking for his gift of transforming love to invade our souls through and through. Amen. All glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.